question. I just got I just got asked a question right before we started doing this. Um, uh oh. The question was, where do I where do I buy music, or where where can I buy music? A friend a friend of mine went into wow. Best Buy, and uh, they were buying something. and decided you know to go check out the CD section, and there's there are no CDs for sale in Best Buy. So he right. So he was wondering where where he can go buy music. Now this is something that just surfaced recently. An article came out saying that Best Buy and Target were phasing out of their CD sales. I think one of them was going to have no CD sales anymore. Then one of them was going to put the expenses all on the labels to do it. And the labels are protesting and saying they're not going to do it. So essentially, Best Buy and Target are out of the CD game. Right. They wanted to. Um, they wanted to do it all on, all on consignment. Right. So, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I believe they only had like a selection of 100 CDs to begin with. It wasn't like you can go and get anything you want to do. Certainly any obscure releases, underground hip-hop or whatever. <laughs> it was like the, the most mainstream of mainstream releases is all that they had. Right. One, one of them had a bigger selection than the other. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it's at. And, um, yeah, so he was like, you know, asked me if I thought CDs are going to, you know, going to hang around. And so, you know, I think I think well, CDs, CDs have already kind of been declared a, a dead medium. Yeah. There was even a congressman a few years ago who said something like this bill is going the way of the dodo and the CD. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's cited as extinct. It's the dinosaur. Yeah. But there's still some around, you know, some artists still release CDs. I still have them. I still enjoy them. I'm still one of those guys who's. You know, I guess the slightly annoying guy who's like, well, I still like the physical CD and the smell you get and reading the booklet and the experience. But but there's a real thing to that. Right. And that's what I was telling him, like, because he was saying he couldn't imagine CDs not being around. And I'm saying, yeah, for the younger generation, they didn't have CDs and it means nothing to them. Yeah. It's like the eight track to us or cassettes to some people. Yeah. It's like, so, you know. How old is this guy? Um, He's probably mid 30s. Okay. And um, it is difficult. Even for me, it's difficult to adjust because I've always been a CD guy. That's just, you know, when I think about buying music and listening to music, consuming music, I think of the compact disc. I don't think of streaming or downloading. Even downloading is kind of after my prime, if you will. Like, you know what I mean? As as a music consumer, uh, downloading to me is like the new thing, which people don't even do. Like People moved on past that. I think they're just streaming things now. Well, yeah, and you see, that's the thing. That's what I was telling him. Like, um, you know, it's gonna move all to streaming, um, and there's a there's a rumor that's that's been around that um, within the next less than the next couple of years that iTunes uh, Apple's gonna shut down the iTunes MP3 store and um, would not be surprised and move everything to you know Apple Music and just be streaming only. Just. Just streaming. Now, does Apple Music do streaming? I've heard Apple Music thrown around, but yeah. is that a streaming platform like Pandora or Spotify or Tidal? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It, it took over the um, the Beat streaming service and kind of integrated that when they bought Beats. Right. So they're going to be... Now, I'm not an Apple guy, so I really don't know about any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I never downloaded anything from iTunes or anything like that. I don't even have iTunes, but... But with... with um, but, but you should subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. That's, I think that's as far as I'll go with that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But with that, you know, <laughs> iTunes being the number one uh, MP3 store, if they shut down and go s- straight streaming, I mean, I think that's really right. gonna that's really gonna um, spell doom for the CD and even the the MP3 it is. medium. No, it, 
even for the MP3, no, it, it, it is. This is where we're at because it's just so easy and convenient to just stream something now. I mean, you know, it used to be you had slower modems, slower right. connections. Like, you know, when downloading was the thing at first, it took a while to download songs. People would go to school, go to work, and come back at the end of the day and get their songs that they downloaded for the day. Right. Um, you know, and then you had the song on your computer. But now it's like you can just go on YouTube or go on any streaming platform and just pull it up immediately. Right. Um, and then you have, you have the purists like me and you who are concerned about quality. You don't get that same quality from um, a YouTube stream, I don't think. Uh, maybe now that's even gotten better because now you have more high-definition streaming. Again, as things get faster, it's easier to, to get more data, so you get higher quality. Right. But um, you know, even the difference between a CD and an MP3 to many people, it's not discernible, but to somebody in the music business, as someone who really is a, an audiophile, or someone you're really deep into it, it is. There is a quality difference there, even if it's maybe slight. It's you know, it's still noticeable. Right. I think I think who's really going to hurt from that are the artists, though, because it further it, it further devalues the the music. Oh sure, absolutely. You know, so I mean, now and... now you can get a single for ninety nine cents, but you know. If it now goes you to, it free, you can get the whole thing for like nine dollars a month. You can get the everything. Whole album. Who's going to pay for anything? Who's going to pay for any music at all? This is where we're going. Right. Artists are not going to be paid for their music, at least not in the traditional sense. Right. How is that going to look? And it's something that I've struggled with. You know, again, as a music consumer and even as an artist who came up during a time when CDs uh, were where it was at and it was moving towards downloads, and you know, right. that was a struggle. And now we're moving you know quickly past. I think downloads. You know, as as the choice medium for consuming music, might have been the shortest lived of them all. Probably, yeah. CDs had a good, a pretty good run. So it's the '80s, I think, right? Like Born in the USA, I think Bruce Springsteen was like the first one or something like that. Like, you know, certainly when I was a kid, the CD was where it was at, and your parents still had a lot of cassette tapes, and sometimes maybe you would get a cassette, but the cassette was dying out, and it was moving to the CD. Yeah, yeah. So. It's it's crazy. I remember when um, like CDs, they were available as far as um, for you know major releases, but they hadn't you know they hadn't yet come to home use or independent use yet. And so the first first demo that I recorded with uh, my partner at the time was um, my partner Solo. He was going by E the Rap Specialist at that time. So after we mm. came out of the studio. We had we had the um, you know we had the master copy, and we had we got it on CD, and it cost us eighty dollars for one CD. Wow, just for one CD. The so. first music I recorded was on cassette, and it was all hissy and all like yeah, it had that underground yeah. quality to it. Yeah, because uh, I didn't have the means to make CDs yet. Right. You know? And that was where we were at. Like, there was no means to make it. But, like, people were just starting to, you know. Well, the, actually, I mean, they were being sold. But just it wasn't in the hands of people outside of big companies and such. Right, right. Yeah. It was kind of like how vinyl was a thing, right? Like, if you wanted to get your own vinyl, that was considered a big deal because the big releases came out on vinyl. But if you were underground, it was a big investment to get your own vinyl pressed up. Yeah. It's still expensive, even though it's making a resurgence. Right, and now I heard that they're going to only sell vinyl with uh, with record players now. Well, here's the thing: like, like even the, in, I think you see the Best Buy or Target. Right, they're gonna. I think I guess Best Buy. They're gonna stock. They're gonna stock vinyl, but get rid of CDs. 
<laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. So. But what do you do as an artist now? I mean, do do you even bother pressing up CDs if you're an independent artist? Is it worth it? I, I, if you're going to a show, you're playing a show, and, you know, again, you're an independent artist, kind of a do-it-yourself kind of person, and you, you book shows and you perform. Do you bring CDs with you to the shows to even sell at the shows? Or does yeah. the audience not even bother to buy CDs? I think I think you should have some if you're you know you're on the road um some type of merchandise to be on the road with um i wouldn't go out and do hmm. like a major pressing you know you're gonna have to do a low run just to you know that um you think you can move during your your shows right but here's the thing also if you're gonna do cds at all you gotta start thinking about cd artwork and liner notes you know what i mean you, you might not even bother doing that and making a big deal out of doing that if you're only doing a very small run and that all costs money too. You gotta get that out. unless you're right, of course self designer and all that. You gotta you still gotta put all that together and time and effort and right. So. Now there still are niche record stores, or I guess they sell CDs mainly now. Um, so I can see going on the road having enough CDs to even stock up these stores where you get your hardcore music consumers will still stop by. Right, right, right. So yep, things they are a changing. Yes, it's hard to keep up. Yeah. It really is. I actually have to consult <laughs> younger dudes and uh, and girls about how to thrive in the music business today because it changes day by day. And, you know, like I said, I don't go on iTunes. I didn't even know what Apple's music was or whatever. Like, it's just it's not my thing. Uh, I kind of, When CDs kind of fell out of fashion, I kind of stopped buying a lot of music. So as an artist, you have to keep up with these things just to try to figure out, you know, how you would navigate the business, uh, you know, how you can kind of carve out a lane for yourself. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, speaking of music, I saw All Eyes on Me last night on HBO, the Tupac movie. Okay. I haven't seen and, that And Yeah, I wanted to check it out. It received poor reviews, Yeah, and I heard a lot of bad things about it, so I kind of stayed away from it, but it came on TV, so I checked it out. And I actually got into it more than I thought it would, but I took it for what it was. I wasn't watching it like a critic. I was just kind of enjoying something I'm interested in. And I think, you know, movies about Tupac, even though I wasn't the biggest Tupac fan, just you know, movies about uh, iconic figures in entertainment and certainly in hip-hop uh, interest me. So right. I, I did enjoy it uh, for that aspect of it. Uh, we talked on the show about my uh, facial recognition problems. It struck again. Uh, I just, when I was reading, after I saw it, I read the plot to see if I missed anything on Wikipedia. And uh, Mutulu, who was Tupac's stepfather, was right. a character in the movie. And, you know, they depicted him early on, and, of course, I recognized him in the early scenes when they made it clear that's who it was. Later on in the movie, apparently he resurfaced in prison. Now, I don't know if Tupac actually had a run-in with him in prison when he was in New York in real life or not, but this happened in the movie, apparently. Hmm. Now, when I saw the movie, may maybe because I wasn't thinking that this was a, a possible scenario because I was thinking of it from a historical perspective, even though, you know, may maybe it happened, I'm not sure. But that wasn't... A thought that was in my mind. So when I saw Tupac in the movie have a run-in with this older man, like a, kind of like an OG in the, in the prison, it didn't strike me that that was Mutulu. They didn't say it was him. They didn't you know, reestablish this as Tupac's stepfather you saw in the beginning of the movie. Mm. But I guess if you have good facial recognition skills, you would recognize that as the same actor. I just didn't. You know, I just couldn't. <laughs> and he had a different haircut. Like in the beginning, he had dreads, I think. And now he, he has a short, you know, it's like cropped hair. He kind of looked like Martin Luther King a little bit. Um, I didn't recognize him. I just thought it was like an OG that he came across in the prison. So reading the plot, and then 
and then reading it and then clicking on the actor's name and realizing, yes, it actually is the same guy, it kind of adds another wrinkle to the story that I missed because I have poor facial recognition skills. <laughs> so, so it was just a new character just introduced out of nowhere with no backstory or anything. Yeah, I thought it was an OG. No, because so, so Tupac is in prison, and this is when he first hears Biggie's Who Shot You? And this is, of course, you know, after he was shot at uh, you know, Quad Studios right. in New York, and he's all paranoid and all that stuff. So he's in prison, obviously not the best time of his life. And some guys are playing Who Shot You? And, and Tupac interprets it as a, a diss to him. Um, so an older guy in the prison comes over to Tupac and just tries to calm him down. Like, yo, yo, brother, let me talk to you, man. You, you, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. Don't throw, th- don't throw away your life over stuff like this. He's like, you can make a decision that lasts 50 seconds and cost you 50 years of your life. Calm down. Let cooler heads prevail. And Tupac's like, I got you. I got you. So, I, again, I thought it was an elder mm-hmm. telling Tupac, hey, slow your roll. Just, like, giving him advice. I didn't know that was supposed to be his stepfather. Uh. <laughs> and, and then later on, they show uh, Matulu, the stepfather, Killing a guy in prison, I guess, for Tupac, which I guess now it makes a little bit more sense if that was a stepfather. But when I was watching, I thought, wow, this guy really is, he's riding for Pac pretty hard down there, you know? Right. <laughs> wow. And again, I don't know if, I don't know the historical accuracy of, of all that because I never heard about any of that stuff happening before. Yeah. But I it was something that was that. depicted in the movie. Huh. Mm, okay. Yeah, I've never heard of that uh, part. I, I started doing some reading last night about all that stuff, you know, the circumstances surrounding uh, Pac's. Not his death, but his um, the time he was shot in Quad Studios. Right. It was Jimmy Henchman, I guess, who was managing an artist, and they had Pac come to the studio in Times Square right. to record a song. And uh, he was it seemed like a robbery attempt that went wrong, and he was shot. But but Tupac himself doubted whether that was a robbery attempt, and some people came forward and suggested that actually he was set up because of things he said about um, this guy. In the movie was was called Nigel, but he's really Haitian Jack. They called him in, in the mm-hmm. industry. So. You know, it's the whole folklore about what was that just a robbery? Was it uh, was it a setup? Who was really involved? And Tupac got paranoid. He started blaming Biggie and everybody. But a character who was also central to this plot was um, a guy named Stretch. I don't know if you heard much about Stretch from the Live Squad. Uh, no, I don't think I have. He was a friend of Tupac's who was with him at Quad Studios when he was shot. And Tupac also blamed him for not doing anything because he was a really tall guy. He was like 6'8 or something like that. And and I think in Vibe magazine, Tupac said, well, how come he didn't do anything? I thought I was with Stretch. He would protect me. And, and also he was like, why did the robbers only come to me? They didn't hit uh, Stretch. He's like, I've always heard that they go after the big guy first. And then Stretch did a, did, did a rebuttal interview, I think, in Vibe where he said um, – on the big guy, he's like, yeah, in, in a fight that makes sense, but if the guy's got a gun, I don't have a gun. Being big is not going to help me. But there was kind of paranoia about, well, how come um, Stretch was basically untouched? And so, so Tupac implicated his friend Stretch in this as well. Right. Um, Stretch then ended up rolling with Nas and uh, and Bad Boy. And um, I think that, that also further yeah, that... enraged Tupac when he was in prison. So he ended up getting killed a year to the day and almost to the minute from the 1994 uh, shooting of Tupac in, in Times Square. And they got stretched, g- got killed um, in Queens Village. And actually, it's on the same street that I lived. I had an apartment in Queens Village. Mm. Same exact street. He, he was killed. And this was after he had just produced uh, for Nas's second album. And it was the song Take It in Blood. Mm. And I think uh, Silent Murder, two of the songs on Nas's album, it was written. And they had just dropped them off from those sessions when he was killed. Dang. And in fact, Nas references this on, um, 
think it's the Life Is Good album on the song Queen Story. He's like, I was, you know, just just dropped him off at Springfield or, or whatever. It was like, you know, like Springfield. It wasn't Springfield Gardens. It was um, Queens Village, but I think on Springfield Boulevard, or, you know, around there. Hmm. But really interesting to see how these the stories all kind of intertwine. And you know, we're talking over twenty years later, and and the murders of of Tupac and Biggie Storm out south. Yeah. So it's it's kind of crazy. Who knows if those will ever come out? Yeah, there's a new series. I don't know if it's a series or a special. I think it's coming out on USA about that. I think it's about um, who is it? Oh, Russell. I think his name was Russell Poole. He was the the detective in L.A. who recently died himself for right. related purposes. But he basically made it his life to try to solve that murder. But there was a lot of uh, heat on him because it involved potentially implicating fellow police officers who may have been involved uh, through death row. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely something not not on an up and up that happened around around there. So that's kind of crazy. Right. Right. I mean, who was it? Um, I think it was Jerry Hel- Jerry Heller, the guy who was involved with NWA. Right. Um, yeah, I think he gave an interview not long ago where he said, how could Biggie be killed in L.A. outside of, what, a museum in broad daylight? And Tupac was killed in the middle of the Vegas Strip with cameras everywhere and bright lights on him. You know, this wasn't something that happened like in a dark alley somewhere. He was like out in the open, these murders. Right. Yeah, it was... Yeah, Pac was, that was, you know... It was right after the fight, and it was... Yeah, the Mike Tyson-Bruce Seldon fight. The place was packed. It was just, yeah. So. Yeah. There's a whole lot behind this. I mean, I've seen various stories and interviews and documentaries over the years, like, you know, the whole story about... Um, the, the, the gang beat down and one of, I guess, the death row guys got beat up over a chain in the mall and then when Tupac saw the guy at the casino, he retaliated and right. he was killed. So the speculation that maybe it was gang-related, you know, in retaliation to the to the, the retaliation itself. But then there was a story where uh, Tupac's bodyguard had said he was told to lie about the chain being stolen that, you know, that sparked the whole fight and that never happened in the first place. Hmm. So if people have all these different conflicting stories and conspiracy theories and, you know, like, just like, you know, who knows what's going on? There's just so many different layers and it's hard to kind of have a consistent narrative to, to piece together here. Right. And it'll probably never be solved. Be one of those, like the JFK assassination yeah, these speculations on it for, for years. So, but what there is no speculation about is that this is the best podcast ever, and I'm Jaylon Carter. I'm Mike Scala. Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy week. We got um, the Super Bowl just went out. What you know went on? Yes. Now Congratulations I'm, I'm, to the Eagles. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a sports watcher. Um, to me, watching sports on TV is kind of boring. Um, I prefer to, like, I enjoy playing sports, but just watching it, sitting back watching it. I've always been the same way. And yeah. not just with sports, but with everything in life. I'm not much of a spectator. I'm like, I want to be involved in this somehow. <laughs> and if I don't have the talent, you know, if I'm not going to be able to dunk a basketball, well, I don't know, maybe I'll work uh, for some sports organization or something. Like, if I'm going to be involved, I want to be all in, you know? <laughs> yeah, I still want to play. I mean, let's, let's get out there and have some yeah. fun with it. So I used to love playing sports when I was a kid, too. Yeah, so I, I didn't watch. I, I kind of part, I, I participated in the in the NFL boycott. Um, I wasn't watching it anyway, though. But but now, do you boycott it? Yeah, so I was gonna say you probably boycott it every year, right? Yeah, it's 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 my just Quote, my unquote, default. Boycott. 
Yeah, it's my Boycott default. Boycott convenient. <laughs> However, if, if other, I were... Other years, it's just boredom. If I were watching when it, I becomes would have... Boycott. Yeah, if I were watching okay. it, I would have boycotted this year. I know uh, several uh, <laughs> people I know um, did boycott this year. Um, On both so. sides of the political aisle, now you're boycotting it because there was heat for players taking a knee. I mean, a lot of people boycotted it because players took a knee. Well, right, yeah. It originally started because of, yeah, the, you know, um, Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee um, as a, a method to bring more awareness to the police brutality and uh, against African-Americans. And, um, you know, then he was criticized for that. And his contract, I guess his contract wasn't renewed or he ended up, you know, being a free agent. And so since he was being punished for that, um, people were boycotting um, in solidarity. Um, and then, of course, yeah, like you said, some people were boycotting because people started um, joining in and taking a knee as well. But I think a lot of people, you know, when the Super Bowl came around, a lot of people forgot all about that and were just like, oh, Super Bowl, I'm going to watch. Right, right. Um, and there was one, also, I think, talk beforehand that the teams would not be like, like don't worry if you're going to tune in. You're not going to see anybody taking a knee. They made that very clear beforehand. Yeah. And so the one thing, though, that, um, like I said, people, he was taking a knee. Uh, people say that he was anti-military, anti-whatever it was, but, you know, I think. Yeah. Right. And it was just that the narrative was getting getting confused by the opposition and, and whatnot when he was really taking the knee, and he, he said it many times that it was to, you know, raise, raise awareness um, for you know, the cases of police brutality that were going on unchecked, um, with police officers getting away from murdering um, innocent African-Americans or just um, un- untried African-Americans um, at a higher rate than any other group. And um, so that was what, you know, what it was. He's saying, why am I standing for a country who's not standing for, it's not standing for me? Now, that and we've being, talked about on this show, his First Amendment right to do it, people's First Amendment rights to boycott, people's rights not sure. to hire him, not to have that on their show. You know, everyone has a right to react to how, how they see fit. Sure, sure. Now, now, what happened? What happened after the Super Bowl? The Eagles won, the Philadelphia Eagles won, and the whole city, well, I wouldn't say the whole city, but there was celebratory um, festivities going on, which... You know, people say they were celebrating and it went a little too far. However, they were turning over cars. They were lighting trees on fire. Um, just general mayhem, um, riot behavior. There was even one article that showed a picture of somebody decided he was cheered on by the crowd, decided he was going to eat some horse, some horse doo-doo. Damn. Uh, yeah. This is why we now, can't have nice things. You know? Um, so in contrast to when Black Lives Matter and, and these groups were peacefully marching, asking not to be to be shot and to, to receive due process and equal fair treatment under the law, they were being called rioters. They were being called, you know, uh, criminals and that they were anti-American. Now, these people are actually setting fire to things. They're destroying stuff. They're flipping over cars, actually eating turds on the street. <laughs> and 
it's just a celebration going a little too far. So to many, it's that's pretty uh, mildly. It's a glaring example of a double standard that kind of highlights Colin Kaepernick's point. So I think it's I think it's yeah. Um, no, I saw people on both sides of this weighing in. Some people were quick to point out that even the white people were thugs because there was heat on them before when people were saying that that term was only used to describe people of color. They wanted to make sure now that when there were uh, rioters that were white, they were also called thugs. Then you also had people who said, well, how come they're not being called thugs like black people are? You know, so people tried to politicize it from every possible angle you can. Right. And um, I'm one of them. Somebody even said this. I saw that this made me chuckle. They said, like, that feeling when a team from a red state beats a cheating steam, I'm sorry, a cheating team from a blue state. And I had a laugh, like, wow, so you're saying that Pennsylvania is a red state because Trump won it, but <laughs> I wouldn't call Pennsylvania a red state and certainly not Philadelphia, you know, but that was how they chose to politicize it by saying the Eagles represented. Uh, red America, right? Wow. And the uh, and the Patriots represented uh, the the liberals. Meanwhile, the owner of the Patriot, Tom Brady, the Patriots are are, are Trump affiliated. And in fact, um, there was an article saying that the Eagles were quote unquote the wokest team in the NFL, uh, and the Patriots the least because you know the, I think the Patriots represented conservative America, even it's in the name. Right? I think but even, somebody tried to flip flip that around and say, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is a, a red team, a team from a red state beating those cheating <laughs> blue states. I, I thought that was funny. Isn't one of the, like, the, the losing team quarterback, like, an open uh, supporter of, of Trump and, and... Tom Brady had a Make America Great Again hat in his locker. Right. Well, see, I, I'm, not, I'm not even looking at it at that from that point of view. Like, it, to me, it's not a liberal or, or conservative thing. Like, this no, is, but to me, it was the underdog up against the dynasty. And that's the story that I get into. Even though I'm not the biggest sports watcher myself, I relate to that. It's like, you know, people laugh when I say I, I like the moment when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson because it's Buster Douglas. But uh, it's just like those beating the odds stories that I find captivating. Bill Clinton used to watch ESPN in the White House uh, when he was facing uphill political battles as inspiration for like, look, if, if these guys can come from behind and, and, and get a great win that no one's expecting, I can do great things too. And I relate to that, you know, and not just sports stories, but all stories like that. Right. Uh, so that's how I was viewing it. The Eagles were the underdog. I think that's why a lot of people were rooting for them. And of course, the Patriots had a history of cheating, you know, deflating the footballs, taping the other side's plays and all that kind of stuff. Um, so people wanted to see them get beat. And, and I think that transcended political lines. I think that's just the underdog story. Now, just, that's even that in itself is political because, you know, people who relate to the underdogs tend to be more liberal. And that's like a scientific thing in terms of like the way people think. Um, it's like the little guy versus the big guy, tax mm. cuts for the wealthy versus the working people, you know, that's, that whole dynamic. So that right. is even political. But um, putting that aside, I think the underdog story is one that people on both sides can relate to. Well, yeah, but I, I wasn't even I didn't even care about the results of the of the game. None of that. To me, the to me the issue is the the celebratory um, festivities afterwards, and that double standard, where you know these these people weren't being called thugs. These people weren't being called rioters. You know, they, they were, were though. No, they, they, no, they were. But no, but they were. I did see them called all those names. But I think it was a response 
because I think they anticipated they would get in trouble for not calling them that. <laughs> yeah. So people I did. Know. I know. Um, I whereas maybe them. before they wouldn't have. But yeah. they weren't being. There was they also an article I saw where it was like they got they were too cheery or something like that. And people called attention to that also that it, it, in some places it wasn't covered as rioting or you know the way it might be if, if there were people of color. Right, and they weren't treated the same ways as some of these peaceful protests were treated. They weren't met with they weren't met with uh, police and riot gear, um, and you know tear gas and that type of thing. But remember, when things like Ferguson and you know Baltimore were happening, when these incidents were related to uh, police conduct, a big part of that narrative was well, over in Europe, fans get so crazy about soccer matches that they'll destroy their cities um and they're not called thugs and they're not called those same names so there's a double standard so that so that sports comparison was part of the discussion even when we were just talking about uh the police issue so now that it actually happened in america related to sports it automatically became part of it because it was already in the fabric of that discussion well it's happened here before it's not it's not New, like I remember when uh, I think it was the Chicago Bulls won one of their one of the many oh, championships. Back now, yeah. yeah. Um, I just remember that that there was a story because the, you know they basically the fans went crazy in the streets and and rioted in in celebration. Um, so it's not uncommon. It's just that. And to be know, clear, there were people uh, who were white, who were black, who were Hispanic. I mean, you know, in, in the videos of the uh, Philly riots that you just saw. People right. of all, all persuasions, but I think the right. fact that it wasn't exclusively a group of people of color uh, raised eyebrows, and I was like, okay, well now right. how do we classify it? Right, and you know, and one is is causing you know, you know, damage, versus one is one's causing damage just to ce- celebrate a team winning, versus the other one would be protesting or marching pe- marching peacefully um, while trying to you know. As trying to secure their their civil rights and to stop their you know people. Well, being in killed. both cases, things got out of hand. The intention might have been good in general. Uh, in both, I mean, I don't I don't think everybody in Philly was destroying the city, right? There were people who were celebrating peacefully there too. But, no, but there were people bad apples who got and and that's what be, that's what gets sensationalized, right? That doesn't that might not be the overwhelming majority of the people celebrating the Phillies winning. I mean, the Eagles winning. No, I don't think it was the overwhelming majority of people. Um, right celebrating however the ones that were doing getting out of hand weren't treated the way that the people who were peacefully protesting and trying to fight for their civil rights were treated that's that's the issue it's also kind of reminiscent of the word terrorist right and some people say well how come only muslims get called terrorists what about domestic terrorism right right exactly um, so it's it's definitely something that it needs to be fixed and needs to be dealt with. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with this celebrating and you know, language is important. Language is more than important. Yes. Let's not destroy our cities and our own communities too. I mean, no, let's celebrate not do that. that your team won. And and that, and by the way, it's it's better than just a feel good moment for the people who live there. If you're really invested in that community, if you're a business owner or if you just happen to live or, or, be, or are from the area, it's good for your local economy when your team wins a Super Bowl or a championship. Uh, it's, you know, so it's, it's more than just, yay, my team won. Um, so let's celebrate that, but let's be responsible. But it's not, it's not good for your, tra- it's not good for your transportation. If a group has flipped over your car, doesn't, doesn't help much. 
Makes it no, difficult. no. Makes it difficult to get to work. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to we need to get well, these things or talked about. On the subject you know, of flipping over cars, it is Valentine's Day next week. It is. It is Valentine's like Day next week. I did. It is. It is definitely. <laughs> Sometimes things get crazy out here. What we you know? What can we say? It is Valentine's Day next week. Do you have any plans? Uh, I will keep those to myself at this point in time. But All right. I did see somebody post up on Facebook asking if it was cheating to flirt with somebody other than your partner, and a robust debate ensued. What are your thoughts imagine. on that? Oh. Mm, you know what? I think I think it's it's a it's a slippery slope. You sound like my law school classmates. Every time it, a question it, was posed, somebody would say, "It's a slippery slope." It is Answer because it is because I can understand. I actually just had this kind of um, discussion with a, a friend of mine who's married, and he says that even his wife knows that even he might be out. Um, and flirt he might flirt with someone but it doesn't go anywhere it's more like just to i guess to see if he can or i don't i don't know but right. he doesn't go any further than that it's just like a harmless flirting thing uh but I, yeah i don't know i don't think i would want my wife out flirting with some with some guys no i don't think anybody really wants it but i guess the question is is it cheating right like where is the line of cheating and what you know where, where does flirting fall in that spectrum some people were saying yeah it's just harmless it's just in some people's nature we just do it we don't even realize we're flirting you know some people uh, just will, will, will say that the other people will say no if you're flirting it means that you're trying to hook up with somebody else and maybe it suggests that you're not happy with your partner or it's going to at least upset your partner and therefore it's, it's, it's not tolerable and it should not be done uh, period now my grandfather used to flirt with everybody. When we were out at restaurants, you flirt with the waitress, you know, and he was, what, 90 years old flirting with, you know, 23 year old waitresses or the cashier at the supermarket. Uh, it, it wasn't. Yeah. But it wasn't intended to pick up these women as far as I know. I think that's just, he was just kind of a flirty kind of guy and, you know, was, he just enjoyed doing it as a sport, kind of. Uh, but it never went beyond that to my knowledge. Now, there are some relationship experts who say that a little bit of flirting when you're with your partner in public is actually healthy because it creates a little bit of jealousy and prevents complacency. It forces your partner to compete, in a sense, for your attention, and it keeps things fresh. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but there are some experts who will say that. Do you, would you want to have to continue to compete against other people for your partner's affection? Well, no. Ideally, you would not. But I think the idea is that if things get too easy you might lose interest and so if your partner thinks that they've got you and you and you know and there's no fear of possibly losing you one day maybe they won't uh put any work into the relationship maybe it, you know it won't be like it was in the beginning when you had those butterflies that's that's like a surefire way to for those butterflies to uh to, to die and yeah uh, but you know maybe that can lead to the relationship are, crumbling those butterflies are going to die anyway they they just do because you, you know but there are ways taken... to keep things fresh that's why they say you should you know, role play or you know, wear different things or try to spice things up. You hear these expressions all the time. So Are you saying you, you're yes, into role play? I'm saying that's one suggestion that some experts <laughs> put out there as a thing you can do to keep things fresh. You don't uh, want things to get stale. And so I don't know if I agree that jealousy is the way to do it, but 
Like I said, yeah. I've seen relationship experts say this, that this, this is what it does. It, you know, it creates a little bit of healthy competition. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as say it's it's cheating per se, but it's definitely closer to cheating than than not. Oh, really? So you think it's closer to cheating than not cheating? That's that's an interesting thought. I don't think it's all the way cheating. However, I think I think if we put it on a spectrum, like everything is on a spectrum these days. Right. If we put it on a spectrum all the way cheating like cheating is like all the way to the to the right and then not cheating is to the left i think it's closer to cheating it's a little bit past the middle of you know now you're saying flirting per se right like we're not stipulating how serious the flirting is we're not saying he's giving the number or she's giving their number and saying call me later or we're, we're, any kind of flirting you're saying even if it's like a little smile or a wink or something that could be, be perceived to be a little flirtatious I think there, there would, well, that would be varying degrees. Like, depending on how much you do, it goes a little bit closer to, it goes a little bit closer to cheating. Because I guess, because part of cheating would also be the, 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 the trust violation. Right, and the emotional component. Yeah, I think part of it might be the trust might be in there. But then again, I, I'm. I'm kind but of if you're a flirtatious two. person and you just like let's say you just kind of smile at everybody or you compliment everybody and some people might interpret that to be flirting is and, it really and is that a violation of someone's trust if they know you're that person like they signed up for that when they started dating you you flirted right. with them the same way you know what I mean like it's that's just who that who that person is uh, does it yeah. matter if the person normally flirts or, or how outgoing or how assertive they are in those situations like does that matter is there a subjective component to it I, I think there probably is you know um, I think I'm uh, at times I'm I'm one of those people that um, kind of inadvertently flirts or just um, so you're saying you inadvertently move towards the cheating side perhaps hmm. I think but I think there is a subjective point to it like you said like uh, you know if the person knows that's your personality then um, you know maybe they know you know that this is going on I think if they, you know, they know that this is how you interact with people, maybe it's just part of how you interact. Right. So, And different people would have different ideas as to what flirting means also. Some people might see yeah. a wink and a smile, but like, that's not flirting. They're just being a nice person. What are you talking about? You know, they're just outgoing or, or what have you. So some people, when they hear the word flirting, maybe they, they're thinking it's more serious than that. Right. Um, there are different ways to flirt. Yeah. Yeah. No, this stuff is all fascinating you know what are the boundaries of acceptable behavior within a relationship it, things get tricky i will i will say give one suggestion to people um if you are the type to, to flirt um or if you even if you don't believe flirting is cheating or if you do believe flirting is cheating whatever do not take that psychologist suggestion that 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 mike has just put out there um on valentine's uh -oh. day don't oh, do it on Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. If you are Maybe out you with might your want to do partner, it on Valentine's Day to spice things up on Valentine's Day. Who knows? It depends uh, on yeah, how you do it. Spice things up with like a round, a three round fight. Yeah, uh, Valentine's I mean, Day is let's say you're out on, at a, let's say you're at a restaurant and your partner thinks maybe you're flirting. Like you're not making it obvious. It's not overt. It's not like, hey, babe. Watch me try to you know pick up this hot waitress over here. But maybe it's like you look at her for a second longer than you might normally look at someone, and, and then. It makes her say, uh, do you like her? Are you into her? Like, what's your deal? That kind of thing 
and again, I'm not co-signing this, but this is what the argument <laughs> some experts will say. Yeah. That kind of thing inspires more passion from you're your not, partner. You're not because now they're trying to they're they're doing more to to keep you interested in them. And I think everyone has that kind of primitive, instinctive nature. I'm saying I understand the argument. I, I've never or, done this. I've or, never employed this tactic, but I understand why people would say that. Or you're making that other person that you're with feel like you're not really into them anymore. And so it's not that they're going to fight for it. Well, I don't they think you should mo- do that. Yeah. I'm saying Again, don't do it on Valentine's Day. Don't do it on Valentine's Day is what I'm saying. Now, look, there are some people, and I'm going to sound really awful by saying this, but I've read awful, this. Some people, I, I think, it might have even been on Seinfeld, and I, I love Seinfeld, but some people say that you have to have an emotional connection with someone for it to be cheating. So like if you see a prostitute or if you have sex with someone else, as long as you don't have feelings for them, that's not cheating. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think... What are your thoughts on that? Oh, no, I disagree with that. Okay, I disagree too. Yeah, to I mean, clear, if, you, if you have, if you have sex with ideas, someone... You know? Yeah, if you have sex with someone, like, yeah, that's, that's cheating. I imagine if we, if we got a pass for that, I mean... <laughs> yeah, all you have to say is, baby, I didn't have any feelings. I wasn't in love with him. Come on. It was just wild sex every night. Yeah, I, I didn't feel anything about still that. still coming home to you, right? I mean, you know, come on. We're still paying our bills together. I'm just having fun yeah. with other people. Yeah. I saw, so actually let's, saw. Let's do a poll. Let's put this on on, on social media. Let's take a poll. It's flirting, cheating. It. Yeah, but yeah. maybe we'll define the parameters a little bit more because, again, people have all the different ideas as to what these things mean. So we'll have to think about how we're going to word it. But I want to get people's input on that. I want to get I, a numerical number to report back to our audience. Right. Well, we can. I think um, a good way to, to to end off on that discussion would be to uh, mention this meme that I that I saw earlier today on the on <laughs> okay. Valentine's about Valentine's Day, and it said it said it said screw grown up life. It said back in elementary school on Valentine's Day, the whole class was our Valentine. That's right. I used to get those, and I, I was so happy when I got those too from like a female classmate. You know, you're yeah. like you're in the first grade, and it's obviously their their mom or whatever doing it. But it was so nice to get a Valentine from a classmate. It's like, oh, this is cute. Yeah, you know, now it's you know you you don't get that anymore. It's but like, this is the discussion of everyone's a winner. Maybe there should be people who don't have Valentine's Day. So everyone was the and Valentine. Like, you, we were we were in this together. Uh, yeah, but that's like the equivalent of a, of a participation trophy maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't be all in this together maybe some people should have valentine's and some people should make themselves better to be more eligible for a valentine's date next year it could be could be but on the subject of polling i did want to give our results from uh, the last poll that i put up which was should new york city continue its policy of red light and speeding cameras and i think most people are aware of about this, and this goes on in different cities. I was reading articles about Florida and how you know they're trying to handle it now, and this is a, a step to move away from it. But in Florida's New York, it's certainly up. being dumb, where uh, you know they install cameras on red lights and speeding cameras, and now they're they're putting them, in, I think, in the bus lanes. Uh, so if you're like if you're in the bus lane, you're not supposed to be. You can get a ticket, all right. done uh, automatically, so a cop doesn't have to catch you in the act. Right? It's just it's right. a camera. It's like Big Brother is watching you, and. Right. Here are the results of my poll. I, I pose this question. 77% said no, they should not do this. There should be no cameras for speeding at red lights. Right. 23% oh. said yes. Okay. So you're talking, what, over three quarters of the people. And again, not a scientific poll, but you did have over 50 people, I believe, uh, voting in this one. So 
telling. And I'm on the side that says we shouldn't do it. Now, that's a controversial stance. I know it because I've seen articles where, you know, like, oh, there's blood in your hands if someone is speeding in a school zone or someone runs a light and, you know, and, and, there's, and there's no camera to catch them and they kill somebody, God forbid. Uh, you know, you're a murderer because you took the light away or you advocated against. People are really, really passionate about it. I just think that we have policing for a reason. And a lot right. of this is supposed to be a judgment call. Sometimes you have to, I mean, let, let's say there's someone tailgating you and if you slam on your brakes to make the light, you're going to get rear-ended and you're going to cause an accident. You know what I mean? Like, right. Or, or, or let's say you have to kind of uh, swerve around uh, a, 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 an accident or a stopped vehicle and maybe you have to get into that bus lane for a little bit to, you know, to keep the flow of traffic moving or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, there are things you may have to do that may be contrary to the exact letter of the law in a certain case that maybe don't warrant a ticket. In fact, legally, they wouldn't warrant a ticket because there are exceptions for emergencies and things like that in the law. But right. cameras don't take that into account. Um, not to mention, these cameras are run by third-party vendors. Um, so you can make a legal argument there that actually policing by law is supposed to be in the hands of the state and the police departments, not right. by private businesses. Now, they kind of circumvent that legally by sending the ticket, you know, sending the violations or whatever to, you know, to the police and having them process it. But nonetheless, it's still like a formality, right? It's the police right. aren't the ones actually doing the work here. So right. that was part of the legal argument in Florida, which I found uh, to be uh, an interesting thing. Um, so, no, I think, look, I, I really think that we should move away from doing this. This is 1984, right? This is, this is not what we need to do. Yeah, doing. no, um, I, I the, agree. The intention I... may be good, catching people. We don't want people speeding and running red lights. Of course not. But let's make sure police are the ones who are actually uh, policing this and not third-party uh, vendors with cameras. Right. I, I, and I, I agree with that. Like, I think, I think it's, it's, like you said, the intention may be good, but I think the intention is also to bring in revenue. And so, yes, and that was a big part of it also. talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's, but in that's Florida, I think it was it in Hollywood, Florida. They, they, uh, cause, cause Florida was given the green light by, I guess it's state legislature to, uh, to do this, few years back and so some cities started then doing it hollywood florida did it and they found that it wasn't profitable for them i think because of all the lawsuits that's <laughs> so actually losing them money uh fighting yeah. off uh, the uh, the litigation i think we need to we need we need to 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 really pull back on using um law enforcement as a revenue generator that's what i said revenue i agree with that and also i want to add in this point too that there's a big concern in new york city that there's a movement to get people out of their cars, to frustrate drivers. And this actually may be part of that. I don't know if that's completely 100% the intention, but you'll hear this cited a lot by people who raise this concern, that they're just trying to make people give up driving altogether. And that is something, and that's not a conspiracy, by the way. That's something that the government will actively tell you, that yes, our goal is to reduce the number of people in their cars. We want everyone taking mass transit. Um, but the question that becomes, well, to what extent are they willing to frustrate you? Like the select bus service, was that purely to frustrate drivers out of their cars? A lot of people right. will put this in that same category and say, this is all they're trying to do. They're trying to make it so frustrating to drive, you're, you're going to get stuck in traffic because they're taking the lanes of traffic away. You're going to get tickets. You, you know, you're just not going to want to do it anymore. They're going to tow you to death like crossing the bridge, driving within Manhattan. Now they're talking about that, congestion pricing. Like they're just trying to make it so inconvenient to be a driver to force you out of your car. Um, and I think that's a valid concern. You know, I don't think we should shrug that off. Yeah. And speaking of, yeah, so I, yeah, I think they should, they shouldn't do it. But, uh, you know, Florida's going to Florida. Um, yeah. I was going to bring up the Supreme Court uh, 
case about the voting rights in Florida. And yeah. I've heard about that as well. Yeah. And yeah, the Florida Supreme Court deemed unconstitutional their clemency program, which is when a felon loses their voting rights. They had a system for uh, restoring those rights. And each state can kind of come up with its own system as long as it's constitutional. In New York, you get your voting rights back once you finish uh, parole. So people think that if you're a felon, you can't vote. Check your state's law. It varies by state. Again, in New York, as long as you're not on parole anymore, you still can vote. Um, okay. Or yeah, I should say you, you can vote again. In right. Florida, they had a clemency board. And this was a board of, of officials uh, who were partisan officials, people part of the governor's cabinet. I think, I think the secretary of agriculture was on it. Like people who came in with the governor were appointees right. of the governor. And um, the governor had, had absolute veto power over everything. Right. Right. And the board to begin with were political allies of the governor. And uh, right. so, so, so this is interesting because now you're thinking about restoring people's voting rights. Um, but if you're a political appointee, you shouldn't be, but uh, you know, human bias dictates you're going to be thinking about whether the people's rights, uh, you know, whether the people whose rights you're restoring are going to be voting uh, for you or for your boss. Because exactly, if, you know, if, if the governor is Republican, and you know, again, this is very, uh, this is a partisan board. You're a Republican appointees. Um, if the Republican governor is not reelected, and a Democrat gets into office, you lose your job. Right. And so now you have to make the decision as to whether you're going to restore these people's voting rights. Uh, are you going to want to restore a lot of Democrats' voting rights? Um, that's a very cynical view. People shouldn't but, think along those lines. But there is well, evidence, though, that they do. And that was part of the court's decision as to why this was unconstitutional. That right. they actually decided, and this is, as a lawyer, I, I was really into this decision because I would think that this would be attacked under due process. Uh, rights. In other words, voting right. is a fundamental right. And so if you're going to restrict the, the right to vote, it has to be done in the most narrowly tailored way. Like you have to be, it's, it's called strict scrutiny in law, right? It's like these courts look at, at, at restrictions of fundamental rights with a lot of suspicion. And so this clearly wasn't the most narrowly tailored way to do it. It was a partisan arbitrary where, like you said, the governor had unfettered veto authority. Like they could basically do whatever they wanted to do. So since it wasn't narrowly tailored and you were restricting a fundamental right, it wouldn't survive strict scrutiny. To me, that's a violation of due process and the easiest way to attack the right. law. But the decision, at least the articles, I didn't read the whole decision, but I read several articles about it. And they all brought up, not that argument at all, but they brought up the First Amendment and equal protection. So the First Amendment piece of it was free association. It's not just you know it's not just free speech. It's the right to associate with uh, whichever groups you want to associate with. In other words, if you want to be a Democrat, liberal, conservative, Republican, you know whatever that case may be. And there were some cases where people got their rights back when they said they voted for uh, the governor, and people who were you know Democrats didn't get their rights back. So they were saying that that's a violation of your right to associate uh, with whatever political groups you want to associate with. Sure. I agree with that. It's just, yeah. to me, that's a harder argument to make legally than you're restricting a fundamental right. But okay, that's interesting. And then the other one was equal protection because they were saying that there's evidence of racial discrimination there too. Um, and I can see that. Know, white people got it e had it easier to get their, their rights restored. Um, again, I want to point out that this stuff is not conspiracy theory, whack job stuff. I mean, you know, this right. is illegal. Coming out of the Florida Supreme Court of all places, right? That's really right. funny. But. You know, not just that, but there's evidence, there's documented evidence of lawmakers, Republican lawmakers saying that they want to make it harder for people to vote for the sole purpose of getting Republicans in office and keeping them in office. Um, 
they said you know, those. I think in Pennsylvania they said they were going to do uh, voter ID or some kind of voter suppression to uh, to make sure Mitt Romney won Pennsylvania, which was a failed effort in 2012. But this is something that is is done and not done in, in secret. That you know they they try to keep people uh, disenfranchised in order to benefit a certain political group. Sure, sure, and and you know that that shouldn't be happening, but it unfortunately it does, and in this case in Florida. Um, the previous governor had um, had done an automatic type of process where people would get their rights back after, I guess, similar to the New York system. Um, and when this governor came in, um, Scott, Rick um, Scott, yeah, yeah Rick Scott, um, they put this this system into place, and you know they only see about. They meet what four times? I think it said like twice a year or four times a year, and they only see like a hundred cases, um, and there are you know thousands of cases backlogged. They're like ten thousand cases backlogged right. at right. this point, and they only see about a hundred a year. So it's like they're never going to get through uh, getting these uh, these people, these citizens, back their right to vote. Right. It's an arbitrary system. Right. Again, to me, due process is the easiest way to strike this down. It's not narrowly tailored to meet the compelling interest uh, that you're invoking, which is, you know, it is a compelling interest that the state has deciding who should be allowed to vote, but it, it shouldn't right. be arbitrary. Again, it needs to be a, a strong, robust, fair system in place. Um, right. Now, different. I mentioned different states have different rules. Like we said, New York, if you're no, no longer uh, on parole, some states, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, two of two of the New England states allow felons to vote from prison what do you th- think about that um i don't know if i'm really bothered by that i don't think i am i don't think i'm bothered by that i mean um you know their punishment is is their loss of the freedom so it's not like um you know they're getting anything mm-hmm. extra by being able to exercise vote voting so right. yeah, I'm not really bothered by that. And then the question is, what is freedom? Is the right to vote part of freedom, part of a free society, part of democracy? You know what I mean? Uh, I guess to what extent then should your freedom be compromised when you're convicted? Right. Well, I think, you know, I think it goes either way um, as far as the voting voting goes. But I mean, you know, freedom in that sense is being incarcerated. Um and not not only physically incarcerated, but also, um, you know. Right. And you still are a away. citizen. You're still a constituent, right? It's not like you, you no longer exist because you're a felon. So right. there's an argument that you, sh- you should still be allowed, you should still be able to participate in democracy, right? Because right, because politicians are making decisions on your behalf. Uh, so Right. And, and they should, should have still a say be, as to who they are. Yeah, and they should still be concerned with your well-being as well, so. So yeah, I don't have a problem with with um, felons voting. Um, I know there are some that- states who don't give rights back at all once you're a felon. That's it. And I think most people seem to think that's the norm. Right? You know, a lot of people right. will say that I'm a felon. Yeah. I can't vote. That's you know, people think that's how how it goes. Now I know in in the um, in the Florida case, um, the people that were able to get their rights back were you know any felons um, aside from murderers or uh, sexual sex offenders. Right. So it seemed like those two groups weren't weren't able to get their voting rights. Now, what do you think from about a legal that? point of view, I guess you would have to justify why those two groups. I guess you're saying those are especially heinous 
crimes of something like the, the law and order uh, introduction. But I, I guess that would be the justification that, that they really don't deserve to have this right. That's, you know, they, they did something worse and therefore that they're, you know, they should be punished more and removed further from society than other types of felons. Right. So I don't know what the justification is on that, but yeah, those are the two groups, murderers and sex offenders, um, don't get um, their rights back afterwards. So, well, we would like to hear people's thoughts on this, and I know this is also a very controversial subject, and it's also yeah. very polarized. Some people, <laughs> you don't find a whole lot of common ground. Although I did see some of my Republican friends saying, "Yeah, I think it's fair what New York does that after they finish, you know, they pay their dues, they they you know they they uh, did their time, they're off parole, right. they should get their their rights back." So you just have some people in the middle there, uh, sure. but you have in this hyper you know, hyper-politicized world we live in. You have people uh, on both sides. Uh, some people will say that once they've done a wrong, they should never get the right to vote. They should never get anything at all. You know, no tablets. That's not the question. You know, nothing. You know, no soup for you. And then you have some on the other side who say, even if you're in prison, you should, you should still vote. You know, so it's it's tough to find common ground these days. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I wonder what, uh, what people have to say about that, if they should they should even get the right to vote. Yeah, you know, right. keep the right to vote while they're in prison. Um, but right. I, I, but yeah, but I, I think I certainly think though the, the Florida system was arbitrary, and the, the Supreme Court uh, was right to strike that down. Yeah, and and actually the process um, was streamlined by the previous governor, who at the time was a Republican, um, Governor Charlie Crist, and he's now um, a member of Congress. Now a but he's he, now he's a Democrat. But at the time when he when he um, changed that policy you know he he'd said that you know they knew the policy wasn't fair and so you know they was you know they streamlined it made it made it better so right it's well, not really, really a partisan quick, issue really if that's the case because he was republican we, at the time well yeah well that's kind of the anomaly this guy can't even decide which party he's with so <laughs> yeah uh, not a knock on him. I mean, maybe he's just not thinking in terms of, of you know, ideology. He's he's being uh, practical and pragmatic. In which case, more power to him. But right, we, we we're talking about the hyper partisan climate we live in. Uh, there was that story about the I guess the neo Nazi running for Congress in Illinois. Yeah, the ex American Nazi Party leader. He's um, he's running unopposed for the Republican primary for a congressional district. And like he's this is not his first this is not his first rodeo. He's done this like uh, eight times before. And each right, time he's, he's run been numerous defe- times before he's been. Yeah, he's been defeated. And to the Republican Party's credit, uh, they've denounced him every time um, saying, you know, he's not representative of them. They don't want him down there. But this time he's in the he's running and he's unopposed so far. running. He's unopposed the for the Republican nomination. Right. Uh, so he still has to go up against the Democrat. Uh, right. And what I imagine is a safe Democratic seat. Otherwise, there would be Republican opposition. And even in this time, the party, you is would think not, so. Republican Party is not endorsing him. They put out statements saying, we, you know, we, we don't agree with him. We've never endorsed him. We don't think someone right. with his values uh, should represent us. So he is entitled uh, to run. Uh, if he gets a nomination, if he's unopposed, he is their nominee. But to their party's credit, they're not backing him. Right. Exactly. And, yeah, this guy is is not just like. You know, it's not just like, oh, maybe he was or it's speculation that he was American Nazi Party. Right, like, right. no, he's, he was the leader of there. it. Yeah, he and he's he an active Holocaust denier to this day. 
even on his campaign campaign website it's got oh, yeah. um, ho- holocaust denial material um and you know he said it in interviews recently that um it, it was a big scam the holocaust so. right 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 yeah no it's just, this is the world we live in you know yeah like I, and again let's I can go go to another meme on the internet. It's like um, you can't be an American patriot and a Nazi. Like we had a world against this. The whole you know we had a war against this. The whole world was in on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can't. And this be also both. reminds me of the meme that I've seen, where you've got uh, white supremacists on one side, you've got civil rights activists on the other side. Then you got one guy in the middle that's like compromise, and they're like, no, th- this is not something to compromise one people right. you know one, one group is a vile hateful group and the others are fighting uh, for rights now you might dispute their methods sometimes or the ways they're going about it uh, but you, you know you, you can't say that <laughs> like like the president said there are good people on both sides like you know you, you can't equate the two and so no. uh as much as we denounce the hyper-partisanship we're seeing i think there is a point to be made that you can't always just be the guy in the middle and say, well, there, there, there are points on both sides. Let's, let's try to find common ground here. Uh, right. In general, it's a good thing to try to find common ground. Yes, compromise is a good thing. Pragmatism is a good thing. But um, sometimes things are partisan for a reason. And, you know, right. if you have someone far to the right and they're, they're spewing this hateful, vile rhetoric and they believe these horrible things, um, no, we shouldn't be holding them on, you know, on, on equal ground and consider them on equal footing with, with folks on the other side and saying, well, well, let's find somewhere in the middle. No, that's how we're being dragged uh, you know, far in one direction. And it's so, so exactly. you know, I think there's a point to be made there as well. It's not always about uh, being in the middle of everything because you have to ask uh, where the, uh, the goalposts are. Right, exactly. You can't be Sweden on everything. Right. Get it together, so. Sweden. Get yeah. it together. Get it together, folks. All right. This Looks has like been the we... best podcast ever. I think it's like a drop the mic moment. Yeah. Boom. <laughs>